We're excited. Uh, this afternoon, we are going down to Euclid. That's why the pastor is dressed as he is, because I'm, I'm so excited. I'm ready to go right now. Come on, say amen. To go out there to a neighborhood where one parent told me a few weekends ago, um, we were passing out the flyers for the event, and uh, he essentially said, um, is there another mic that's on? Let's turn that one off. He essentially said to me, he said, what are you guys doing? I said, we, we're just trying to bring some positive some positive energy, which you know what that means. We bring in the Holy Ghost uh, to this neighborhood. And he said, well, I'm glad you're doing something. There was just a shooting here last night. That was a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I don't know if I want my kids to be around all the stuff that's here. And so that was confirmation enough for me that we as a church are not afraid because that kind of stuff happens. Y'all didn't hear what I said. Some, there's some folk that hear that stuff and say, let's go in the opposite direction. But I don't know about you, when, when Jesus is inside of you, you start looking for the places that need his presence the most, which you say, amen. <laughs> and so I'm excited about what we're going to be doing today. We'll be there at five o'clock this afternoon. We encourage you to join us. I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 13, as I'm excited to share what God has given to me to give to you today. The title of my message is Grace and the Sabbath. Grace and the Sabbath. Luke chapter 13, and I want to look at verses 10 through 17 and read these passages in your hearing. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. And the Bible says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. A woman was there. A woman was there. A woman was there uh, who had been crippled by a spirit by his spirit for 18 years. I want you to pay a, a special close attention to what had her crippled. The Bible says that a woman was in the synagogue who had been crippled by a spirit and she had been in that synagogue crippled by that spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. I believe that the King James Version says, Woman, thou art loosed. Verse 13, then he put his hands on her. All right, come on in here, sisters. I know some of y'all, uh, Lord, help, help me, Jesus. Ain't no touch like Jesus touch. <laughs> the Bible says, then he put his hands on her and immediately, somebody shout immediately, Immediately she straightened up and praised God. <laughs> Indignant because Jesus, somebody always got to mess up what Jesus is doing, man. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, he didn't have the courage to say it to Jesus in his face. So he said to the people, uh, there are six days for work. So come, now this is a strange idea. He says there's six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. <laughs> Verse 15, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall to lead it out to give water? Verse 16, then should not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, Jesus said, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Verse 17, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing grace, grace and the Sabbath. I want, I want to, I want to, I want to just kind of uh, take you back just for a little bit. One of the things that we've been trying to establish throughout this series, in particular, is that the ultimate issue that what we are dealing with on planet Earth in 2015, the real battle, and we do realize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're all clear on that right now, right? We don't wrestle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It is a war. It is a battle. I don't know if anybody else is feeling it like I am, but every day I feel like, especially when you begin to live on purpose, every day you begin to feel the satanic 
and demonic attacks against your life. Constantly you're experiencing attacks to be discouraged. Constantly you're experiencing attacks to not have any faith and lose faith in God. Constantly you're experiencing attacks to give up, throw in the towel. I don't know about you. That's where I am right now. I'm telling you, the minute you make up your mind to live on purpose, the minute you make up your mind that for God you'll live and for God you'll die, expect, expect for the enemy especially. He ain't really trying to kill you. Uh, He would rather discourage you. Because you're better than dead discouraged than if you were alive. He'd rather steal your faith. And the whole controversy from Genesis to Revelation is about Satan trying to essentially disparage and mischaracterize the character of God. And the opposite is true of God. God is trying to reveal himself. Let me say that one more time. The whole purpose of your life, the whole extent of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is very clear. God is trying to reveal his true character and Satan is trying to disparage and mischaracterize God. Satan realizes that if he can get you not to trust in God, he essentially has you right where he wants you. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Listen, Satan can take a lot of stuff. He can take my car. He can take my house. I'm serious. I'm there. He can take all the stuff he wants. But I'm at a place right now that I can't afford to let him have my joy. I can't let him afford to have my peace. He's not going to have my attitude. Oh, come on in here, somebody. No, I'm, I'm serious. I'm like at a place right now where there's certain stuff I don't mind letting go of. You can have all the stuff you want, but you cannot have my faith. For the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, especially in the life of Christ, one of the main reasons Jesus has been sent, as you read the Gospels, that's uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story that's being told there by the four writers of the Gospel is essentially God's attempt to clarify the lies that have been told about his character. The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to clarify the lie that Satan has been telling that God can't be trusted. I mean, mean, think about this for a minute. He comes here for three and a half years. He lives a perfect life. And then after the weight of the sin of every breathing person that has ever lived fell upon him, he had every reason to turn around. As we know, the Bible says he could have called a a legion of angels and pulled him off the cross. But, but, I mean, does it get any better than this? That him on the cross is an expression of a free word gospel statement that God is love. And what God is saying is, man, after that, I feel like I've earned your trust. I feel like I've earned that now. I died for you. I forgave you of, your, of the same stuff that you have committed over and over again. I looked past your faults and I saw your need. That's essentially what we're dealing with here. And so in the Gospels, Jesus is often trying to recorrect false concepts and ideologies about how God is. And so the church often was the group that he came in conflict with. Jesus did not come in conflict with prostitutes. He didn't. Jesus didn't come in conflict with publicans. Jesus didn't come in conflict. As a matter of fact, the Bible says those folks were drawn to him. As a matter of fact, you read the scriptures over and over again. There's the, the, one of the reasons why the church didn't like him is because Jesus was more gravitated towards the people that needed him the most. He wasn't the church people at all. That's concerning to me. I'm a church person. It bothers me that if in 2015 Jesus came here, he would not be drawn to be amongst the most religious. Come on, somebody. Does that concern me? I mean, Jesus, and there's, and there's, I mean, I wish I could say there's a big difference between the church in 2015 and the church in 2 AD. I can't tell you that today. What I can tell you is we're probably worse than the church was in that time. At least, at least in those days. At least in those days. They had, they had more than just a form. These folks sincerely believed with all their rules and regulations, they sincerely believed that what they were doing was right. 
It got so bad that the false idea of what they thought life and church was all about had gotten so twisted that the Bible says that when Jesus came, he came to his own and his own received him not. And I'm straight up convinced today that what the Bible says in Revelation, the third chapter, around verse 13 through 20, especially verses 20 and 21, where the Bible says that the prophetic picture of Jesus right now is a savior who's standing at the door knocking, trying to get in the church. And I want to show you today in this passage of scripture, one of the things that often is an obstacle for the presence of God in our lives and in the church. So one of the main things, there are about three things, there are about three things that Jesus came in constant conflict with the church on. The first thing was his his choice of company. They felt Jesus too often hung with those who were considered to be ceremonially unclean. And so his choice of the disciples, his 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 constant interaction with prostitutes, thugs and sinners, they felt like if he were God, he would not be with them. The second issue that we see that Jesus constantly came in conflict with with the church was temple reverence, temple reverence. As a matter of fact, Jesus was killed on the final straw of this statement. He says, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it up. It was that comment that drove them to bloody murder and said enough is enough. He does not even have any regard for the temple. For you see that the church had gotten to a point at that time where they elevated the temple above God himself. They elevated the temple above people. We see in one passage of scripture where Jesus himself went in the temple and tore the place up because they were barring the people that needed to get in from getting in. As a matter of fact, the text says in Matthew, the 21st chapter, that after Jesus threw out the religious folk, then the blind, then the lame, then the demon possessed, then the halt were able to come in because he had to get some stuff out. And the stuff that he got out wasn't furniture. Jesus don't care nothing about nobody's furniture. What he had to get out was an attitude and a disposition. Let's just go ahead and say it. He had to throw out church folk so that the folk that needed the church could come in. I'm witnessing. I'm, this is not a Myronism. I'm, this is Bible. I'm serious. Read the scriptures over and over again. Jesus has conflicts. Who does he have conflicts with? Not the, not the, not the worldly, not the demon possessed. As a matter of fact, we're seeing texts where demon possessed people are running to him. All the conflicts, all the drama, all the issues that Jesus had, he had with the most religious. God help me. God help us all. I don't know if y'all feeling this today. God help me not to be so caught up in the institutional systematic way of religion that Jesus doesn't even want to deal with me because my philosophical approach to life is counterintuitive to what he's about. It's possible for a church and Jesus not to be even on the same page. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't know if it disturbs you. I mean, I don't know if you lose sleep on this at night, but I actually want to be a Christian. No, for real. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that to be like disingenuous. Like, no, I want to be saved. And I know the only way I'm going to make it is if I'm like him. Not like him in simply how I conduct myself in a building for a couple of hours on a Saturday. But I want to be like him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I, when I am tempted to talk about people that are lying on me and mistreating me, that's when I want Jesus to come out. I want to live like Jesus when temptation comes my way. I'm like, come on, talk to me now. Is there anybody here that wants to be a real Christian? And I'm not talking about verbiage. I'm talking about behavior. Where I act like Christ. Well, let me give you an example of how this goes down. So... One day, Jesus is preaching in the synagogue on Sabbath. Oh, Lord. It's about to go down. This is, let me give you some context. This is the last time 
Jesus has ever been invited to the synagogue. And what's about to happen in this text is the reason why they kicked him and barred him and blacklisted him from ever coming into the synagogue again. Listen, if you ever got kicked out of the church, guess what? You're in good company. Because they kicked Jesus out. Oh, come on in here, somebody. If you've ever been ignored by religious folk, it's okay. They ignored Jesus. If you've ever been persecuted by folks that were supposed to know the Lord, guess what? You got company and his name is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus, now I, you know, I'm assuming that, and I believe in order. Somebody say amen. amen. Uh, don't get it twisted. I, I mean, I, I believe that the spirit of God not only works in spontaneity, but I believe that God's spirit also works in order. Oh, come on, somebody. I, I, there ought to be rules. There ought to be protocol. Oh, there ought to be procedure. There needs to be guidelines and deportment and appropriateness. I believe in all of that, and so does Jesus. And so Jesus, following the protocol, comes into the synagogue, and the Bible says he's preaching. Ooh, oh, I love the Bible. Ah, I've heard some great sermons in my day, and a lot of y'all, it takes a lot to move you. But just imagine sitting under the teaching of Jesus. Imagine sitting under the word preaching about the word. How does that happen? What we are looking at here, see, when I preach, there's not perfect symmetry. Most of what I preach, I've not yet apprehended to. I know you think I have, but it hasn't happened. There's not a person out there that professes one thing and is able to fully live up to all that they profess. We are all growing. Hallelujah. Thank God for grace. We are all growing in grace. I read from Steps to Christ this week. Ellen says this. She says that she says many of us have experienced so much grace in our lives that it is more difficult for us to see from how far of a miserable life God has brought us from. Woo! In other words, let me help you out right now. Because you've been getting grace for so long, God has covered up so much of your stuff that you don't even realize from how far. You know, I mean, there is eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. The things that God has done in our lives, we don't even realize from where the Lord has brought us. Some of us think we know our testimony, but God has hidden some stuff from us where we have not even seen the foolishness. And I, oh, Lord, have mercy. The mess in our own lives. God said, some of that stuff I couldn't even show you. You give up for fear that you could not make it. So Jesus following the protocol. He's preaching. Amazing. I'm just, just that alone. I could just, I'm, uh, Jesus is preaching. Wow. Jesus is preaching. I mean, we are in a day and age where if you don't backflip, flip, run, yell, holler, spin, Get it. I mean, you got to get more deep than Jesus got in the Bible. You got to pull something out of a text that some folks have never even heard, even the Holy Spirit, for folks to even be interested in the Word of God anymore. Yeah. Folks are not in tune. They don't, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. There used to be a day where folks would sit on the edge of their seat. They'd have no pen in hand because they were hungry for the Word. And I'm saying Jesus is preaching. Now, and that's, that's why I find good comfort here, Keel, because if Jesus is preaching and only one person gets healed, Man, no, nobody who ministers should ever be discouraged because you lead worship and one person has their hands up. Jesus preached and only one person got delivered. Y'all not hearing me now. There are some things that even Jesus can't do. Jesus can't force you to want to receive him. Jesus can't force you to worship. Jesus can't force you to enjoy his presence. Man, that thing has got to be inside. Lord have mercy. That thing, oh, let's just tell it like it is. That thing is based on some experiences. Hey, somebody. You would have had to go through just a few things. Have I got anybody in here today that knows what I am talking about right now? You would have had to go through some things. 
to get to a place where you ain't shucking and jiving no more with the presence of God, with the word. You don't care who it comes from. You don't care how it's preached. You don't care who's preaching. You don't care who's singing. You're so fired up about Jesus. And so Jesus preaching ain't nothing happening. And so in the message, in the middle of the message, and I told you I believe in protocol, but I'm, I'm, uh, I think that sometimes we have so much order and protocol that not even the Holy Spirit has the power to break through it. So Jesus is preaching, and in the middle of his sermon, he stops. Now, now help me out on this. Jesus is preaching. I don't really feel like there's anything more important in the world at that moment than Jesus preaching. <laughs> there must be an emergency if we're going to stop service and Jesus is preaching. Oh, you're not hearing me now. Now, I mean, I'm just going to talk about me for a minute. Y'all know I'm a little anal. Yeah, I know some folks been getting mad at me because he don't want nobody walking out this door while he's preaching in that door. Because I just believe when the word of God is being preached, I'm telling you, it's already tough. Y'all don't get it. To stand here and preach in front of y'all Negroes, I mean, excuse me, in front of y'all, it's not easy. You're not hearing what I'm saying. It's not easy getting up here talking to the same folk every week. <laughs> Has anybody preached one time and know what I'm talking about? Man, it ain't. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. It's not easy. Sometimes when you're preparing these messages, it, I mean, I have had sermons that it has taken me years to prepare. And then, and then you get in your prayer closet and the enemy just starts disturbing and distracting and, and bothering you and trying to mess up your spirit and, and get all in your attitude. And then, and then Jesus, after all that preparation, he stands there and the folk ain't even feeling his word. And so in that split moment, Sister Bob, in that split moment, the, see, when you are in tune with the Holy Ghost, the way Jesus is, you can always find, you can always find a light at the end of a tunnel in a dark place. Hey! See, I have been in some real tough situations, Pastor Bedney, where, where you just don't feel like anything's moving, nothing's happening, you've been praying, you've been agonizing, you, you prepared yourself, and then after all the energy and preparation and you get there, it's just as dead as a cemetery. I mean, look, I'm telling you, y'all don't understand. I mean, like, I get up regularly on Sabbath morning at 4 o'clock, and I'm serious, it's an anticipation. I'm just like, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to share with the people what God has told me. When you begin to dig in this word and the Lord begins to show you insights that you know have the possibility of changing the whole trajectory of the church. And, and then after all that agonizing and you're struggling, pastor, and you, you're wanting to get something and nothing comes. And then finally, a light bulb goes off in your head. And God says, preach this. Oh, your boy is ready. Your boy comes ready. Your boy is ready to preach. And then to come in. Some folks, some folks straight up just be like. And I'll tell you, the, the, the tendency, Jason, is to preach harder. The tendency is to come stronger. And the harder you preaching, the more sleepy they get. The more, the more you start running around the church and nothing happens. It's like somebody took a holy sedative and just laid it on top of the congregation. But, but, but I have been in moments where it seemed like there was nothing moving. Somebody's life is like that right now. Where you have been where you have been praying for a move of God. You've been agonizing for a shift in a situation in a circumstance. And you've been waiting patiently for the Lord to come through on your behalf. You fasted, you've prayed, you believe God, and it seems like heaven is silent. But but does anybody know what it's like when that day finally comes? After you've been waiting, after you've been agonizing, after you've been praying, after you've been longing, and after you've been waiting, and God finally, 
God finally opens the windows of heaven and finally he pours out the blessing that you have been waiting on. For 18 years, this woman has been sitting, listening to a rabbi say nothing. I'm explaining some some folks' church experience. In church for 18 years, regularly, and the spirit will not leave her. In church for 18 years, praying for a move of God. And nothing happens. Then Jesus shows up. And in the middle of his sermon, (laughs) in the middle of the greatest preacher that ever lived sermons, he stops the sermon. The Bible says he looks over the men because in those days the men sat in the front, women sat in the back. And he looked to the back and saw a woman that had been bent over And could not, the Bible says, she could not straighten up (laughs) for 18 years. Jesus said, my sermon is not more important than this person. Okay. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, let Let me say this a different way. People are always more important than procedure, protocol, and policy. Oh. Let me tell you that story again. I told you a few weeks ago about the former CEO of IBM who goes into a bank. He goes into the bank. He wants to make a transaction. But he does not make the transaction. And so he asks one of the clerk, can I have my ticket validated so I can park for free? Because the rule is, is if you do a transaction, then you can get your ticket validated. The woman looked at him and says, you've made no transaction rule. He didn't. He came into the bank and was looking for somebody and they weren't there. She says, I'm sorry, mister. You made a transaction. We can't help you. So he said, "Okay, I'll make a transaction right now. I want to withdraw all one point five million dollars out of this bank right now. The story says that the woman withdrew the money, gave it to him and then validated his ticket. Because he made a transaction. That's what I'm talking about. Where we look at a policy, a service, an institution, a way of do a tradition. Oh, yeah. Uh, see, conventional wisdom would have said, Christ, wait till the sermon is over. That's conventional. At least that's what I'm thinking. But these guys in those days said, wait a minute, wait till the Sabbath is over. And then I began to research uh, in in the scriptures, there were seven healings of Jesus on the Sabbath and not one of them was an emergency. Look, all the laws said that the only time you would heal somebody on Sabbath is if it were a life threatening situation. So, so all the sick people that traversed around Palestine were not to be healed until the sunset. Jesus looks in the back and says, woman, you're set free. Come to the front right now. The Bible says that he says she's set free before her back straightens up. As she, as, she, as she struggles to get to the front, the Bible then says Jesus puts his hands on her and straightens her up. Then the Bible says she broke out into a shout. Right there in the middle of the service, in the middle of the Sabbath, in the middle of the church, in front of all the dignitaries, in front of all the rule keepers, in front of all the protocol keepers, because when God's presence interrupts your life and your situation, throw that protocol out the way. Put down that manual for a second. Lift up your hands and you ought to bless. The Bible says you ought to bless the Lord. 
Now, here, 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 here's the strange thing. I, I, wanna, I want to, I just want, let me, let me show you something. Ceremonies and systems never replace ministry to people. <sighs> Hear me now. You feel good because you came to church. That is a false feel good. If you come to a service and enjoy yourself, then go home, eat a meal, talk about what you experienced, take a nap. It's all right every now and then. But all the time, that's your custom, that's your protocol. And you'll get more mad if there was an interruption in the flow of what you have expected in a service, in an institution, and a protocol. But you're not mad that you've got people who are bound by spirits in your midst and have been here for 18 years and did nothing happen to them. Look at the value system of Jesus. Jesus is not mad that the praise team didn't sing his song. Jesus is not mad because folks ain't saying amen to his sermon. Jesus is not mad because of what he sees they have or do not have. Jesus steps in the middle of the sermon and says, I don't care if they're not listening. I see somebody in here right now that is bound. That is bound. He said, woman, you are loosed. Come here to the front. The Bible says in the middle of the service, she halted her way there. And Jesus straightened her life up in that moment. And I've asked myself, how many, seriously, how many opportunities have I missed at being straightened out and being a blessing to straighten other people out? Because I've been so fixated on a routine Look, look here. Look, look at what it said. Uh, look at verse 14. Indignant or upset because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. <laughs> the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days. In other words, you, Jesus, look, he, he ignores Jesus. The Bible says he talks to the people. Jesus heals the woman. They're there having a praise party right there in the aisle of the church. Jesus says, the, the synagogue group says, don't pay them no mind. In my church, we don't do that kind of stuff. Especially on Sabbath. He, this is crazy. I think it's just so funny. He says, there are six days for you to get healed. <laughs> six days for you to be delivered. Six days for your marriage to be fixed. Six days for your child to be whole. Six days for somebody to get their act together. And do whatever you want on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But don't you mess up my Sabbath. Don't you interfere with the way I've been doing things. Oh, my God. I'm saying he says this in front of a miracle. God help us. God, I have seen times when the spirit, I shall never forget. To, well, let me go ahead and go there. You know, Pastor Deblier Snell down in Huntsville, Alabama. Had experienced some great controversy. He was actually my roommate. Real good friends. He said the Lord led him to start a Sunday evangelistic service at his church at 10 o'clock. Conference approved it. Church voted it. But there was a firestorm of criticism uh-huh. on the internet. Folks saying, the mark of the beast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some folks even said, you ought not worship on Sunday. Uh, wow. I, I worship every day. That's right, that's right. Oh, uh, you're not hearing me. I worship every, you're not every. hearing me. The Sabbath is the seventh day, uh-huh. and it is blessed and holy, uh-huh. but I don't confine my worship to Friday, yeah. Saturday, my worship is too big for that. My God is too good for me to contain him just for a few hours, really, because I ain't worshiping him while I'm sleeping, and I ain't worshiping him while I'm sitting down talking about folk at the dinner table. So really, I've only worshiped him 
for a couple of hours, I don't just worship. Oh, let me tell y'all the story. Let me tell y'all the story. Uh, so, 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 so there was a firestorm of criticism. This brother put out, I mean, Ellen White statements where Ellen White gives, I mean, just talks about how they did it 150 years ago and encourages churches to do this in order to reach people for Christ, meeting people wherever they are, do whatever you got to do to get people to a knowledge of the truth. And there was still much criticism. And so this past week, a Baptist preacher had heard about all the criticism and controversy. And so he says, I'm going to go on over there to them Sunday services of that Saturday keeping church and see what's going on. First day he went was the it was a it was a it was a subject on health. That brother said he was so convicted on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock that he went home that night and cleared out all the pork out of his refrigerator and threw it in the trash. But he but he still was trying to see what they were doing. So then he came the next week and they preached something. I don't even know. Two weeks later, pastor preached on Sabbath and the Sabbath message and how it's a blessing to God's people. He didn't beat up on them and say, if you ain't keeping Sabbath, you're going to hell. He said that God has given this thing as a blessing, not in Exodus, but in Genesis. When Jesus was deciding how to set up the perfect situation for perfect living, Jesus says, I'm going to give them Sabbath. And he gave them Sabbath even before they did anything. They were created on the sixth day. God gave them rest the next day. That's why Sabbath is about grace. Because God gave them a break and they ain't even worked for it. The, the story says that the man of God heard the sermon he called my buddy and said can I meet with you on Tuesday came to his office and said listen he said I'm ready to leave pastoring my church he said I want to join your church right now he said I'm not worried about my members he said because I know what the truth is he says enroll me at Oakwood so I can study for the ministry so I can be a part of this pastor said no no you're not going to lose your church he says let us train you on how to train your people to walk in the word and now he's training his members now here's the crazy thing the pastor put together a video I took that video because you know I was, I was arguing with folk left and right I was coming at folk left and right on the internet first of all that's my boy and I'm like don't be calling my boy a, a papist and then I know what the word of God says. I know what spirit of prophecy says. I'm saying, what is this foolishness that we are hearing from the body of Christ? And I realize that there are so many of our folk who do not really understand principle. They understand preference. Many of our folk do not understand biblical instruction. They only understand, they only understand philosophical interpretation. In other words, what they understand is what somebody told them instead of understanding what they study for themselves. Oh, y'all not hearing me. So I took to the internet again after being in hiding. And I came out and I put the video up there and I said, what y'all got to say now? And I bless your heart. My inbox got full. Folks still can't see it. They said it was a bad conversion because the conversion came in on a Sunday at 10 o'clock. One of the things I'm learning is that no, even in the face of a miracle, this woman was set free under the sorry teaching of a synagogue leader that didn't teach nothing of any power for 18 years. And you would think that this man of God would be excited for his members' deliverance. But he's not happy that she got healed. He's not happy that she got saved. He's mad because protocol was broken. He's mad because Jesus came in his church and interrupted stuff. He's mad because the Holy Ghost said, you ain't in charge no more. I am. I, I just, I mean, we need to pray right now. I'm done. How does that happen? Where as a leader in the church, a woman has been delivered, the Bible says, from a spirit. She had been coming to church for 18 years bound by Satan. And she stayed that way in the presence of God's people. God help us. 
God help us. How many folk, forget the folk in here, we got whole neighborhoods surrounding our church that are, that are bound by spirits and they've been that way for 60 years and ain't nobody bothered about it. Still having church and Sabbath school and still doing our programming, still doing our thing. People are outside the four walls and they're dying for need of a savior. And I don't know about you, but I'm dang on tired of sitting around watching people die, watching black boys get shot, watching mothers get back, get pregnant and have babies and ain't no daddy around. I'm tired of seeing black men disproportionately thrown in prison. I'm tired of mental health issues. I'm tired of gayism. I'm tired of lesbianism. I'm tired of all that stuff. I'm not going to sit around and just watch so die and not do nothing about it. What are we going to do? I tell you what we need. We need Jesus. We need just a little more Jesus. We, listen, when Jesus is inside of you, your loyalty is to helping folk get saved and get healed and not to your traditions. Y'all know I'm persuaded about this thing. And sometimes God will give vision to people. God will speak to people. And because we've not seen it done that way before, we get afraid for fear because it makes us uncomfortable. But I'm telling you right now, if the spirit of God is in that thing, you can't stop it. If the spirit of God is in that thing, somebody's going to get saved. I have never done evangelism and nobody gets saved. I have never done it. Let me say this. I ain't never cast a net out there and ain't no fish come in. Even when I ain't had no money, when I ain't had no members, when I was pastoring three churches in the middle of the boondocks of Tennessee, I would stand there, prayed up, filled with the Holy Ghost, just a few old folk behind me going in and out of the neighborhoods on the Sabbath in the community, telling people about a soon coming Savior, loving on their children and loving on those men. And I have seen drug addicts, I have seen gays, I've seen lesbians come into the church and be set free. I've seen folks set free from drugs and alcohol. I've seen marriages reunited. I've seen children. I'm telling you what God will do when we put aside the way we've done things and we start putting people and their needs and their salvation above ours. And I'm going to preach it until the cows come home. Every time I stand here, I'm going to tell us, sitting around here, listening to a sermon, is not enough. If you can't move, pray. If you can't walk fast. Whatever you do, don't just sit there and let folk die in your own presence. And if there is a day that healing should happen, it ought to be the Sabbath. It ought to be the Sabbath. You know what Jesus said in one passage? They said, what are you doing healing folk on Sabbath? And Jesus said, he said, me and the Father, I love this. He said, me and the Father are always at work. He said, we never stop working. <laughs> Have I got anybody here? That's glad that he don't stop working. <laughs> I mean, what do I got to do to get a praise in here today? Aren't you glad that he didn't take off on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Are you glad he didn't take off when you were in the hospital, when you were in sin? Are you glad he didn't take off when your butt was lying, when you were stealing and cheating and committing adultery? Have I got one witness? Please, can I have one that is glad today that he does not quit? Heaven is always open for business. He's always working. Can we praise him today for two seconds and just say thank you, Lord, that even on Sabbath you got a blessing. On Sunday you got a blessing for me. Lord, have mercy. Let's pray.
Father God, Father in heaven, I confess that even in my life I have allowed appointments and I have allowed television. I've allowed stuff I wanted to do as a validation for not helping people to be loosed. God, what you value is not bodies in the building. How many are coming? How much tithe is coming in? What you value is bodies in the community. Bodies engaged in people's lives. You don't value sitting You value serving. Oh, God. God, help us to receive your heart today. God, help us to have the heart of Jesus. To whom much is given, much is required. And there are many of us in here right now where God has been so good to you. You had so many experiences. and Some of you have education and knowledge and skills that can be used to help to help change people's lives and God is saying if I'm working I I need you to work not when you feel like it but if there is a day if there's a day where where we ought to minister if if there's a day where we ought to dispense grace Let it be the Sabbath day. Let it be a day of rest. Not simply rest from physical labor, but rest from selfish living. Rest from purposeless lives. For your word says, come unto me, all ye that labor. Watch this. And I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke. The yoke was a tool of work. He says, come and rest and then go to work. He didn't say, come and rest and sit down and wait for me to do something. He says, come and rest and then go to work. Because see, your rest, your peace, your shalom is not in sitting, but your shalom is in the peace of serving. Does anybody want to be available to him today? Is anybody willing to say, my storage is empty yes. and I am available to you? Yes, I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I believe God has been speaking to some folks about ministries, about service. He's been speaking to some folks about just getting, getting in the front lines, uh, doing more than you've been doing because to whom much is given, much is required. If I'm talking to somebody today and, and this word has been a direct uh, confirmation for what God has been saying to you, would you come down here and can we pray for just a second? Can we pray for a second? Can we pray for a second and just and just begin to ask God for his spirit to ask God. Ah, ah, Lord, have mercy. I, I, I mean, oh, Lord, I want to be used. I'm available I want to be a change agent. I want to be somebody's hero. I want to hear some some young person say to me after finishing school and college and and getting married saying Pastor Edmonds if you had not come to my neighborhood I would not be where I am today if you had not passed out ice cream I would have never known that that life could be better than where I am thank you church for coming out the four walls and thank you church for for putting aside your protocol and thank you church for using your Sabbath to make a difference thank you church you saved my life. I hear folks say that. I, I don't know about you, but I live for that. I, I want to hear somebody say thank you. If you hadn't come and knocked on my door. Oh, that thing brings tears to my eyes. Because there's no better feeling than, than knowing that God used you. Help me, Jesus. There's no better feeling than knowing that God used you. To bring about a change. My will 
I give to you. I'll do what you say. Do what you say. Use me, Oh, bless his name. To show someone the way. And enable me to say. God, you keep bothering me. Your Holy Spirit just keeps bothering me and bo- about the same stuff over and over again. Reach lost people. Reach lost people. Put self aside. Reach lost people. Deny self. Pick up your cross. Follow me. I've been, your Spirit has been saying you can't keep doing what you've been doing. You can't keep repeating the same behaviors. To get what you never got, you got to do what you've never done. Oh, Holy Spirit, right now, those that are here for prayer are simply asking you, God, give me courage. Give me a willingness to do what you done told me to do. Give me some power so that when I see folk that have been bound, I'll know what to say. I'll know what to do. I'll know how to bless. I'll know how to touch. I'll know how to encourage. God, my storage is empty and I'm available. Father, as we go out into the community this evening, we're asking for divine favor. We're praying that we'll take more than ice cream. We're praying that we'll take the presence of God. I'm praying that when we set foot at the East 276th Street Park, that when we put our feet there, that you'll give us that territory in the name of Jesus. God, I'm praying for the power of God to be released today. God, I'm praying that some family will come to know you as Lord and Savior simply because we passed out ice cream. God, will you not use us? This is our prayer. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son. In the name of the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said amen. Amen. And amen. You may return to your seat.